Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall, the voice of Mary Jane from The Spectacular Spider-Man, and you're listening to Spectacular Radio Podcast. Face it, Tiger, you just hit the jackpot. Welcome to the latest episode of Spectacular Radio. I'm your host, Greg Wachanski, and you'll notice that my co-host, Zach, is not here today. He, we were being chased across a chasm by a Balrog, and he turned and said, you shall not pass, and then plunged to his death with this thing. I mean... We wish him well in the afterlife, and hopefully he'll come back as Joiner the White and help us continue our podcast. <laughs> He's from Texas. He's already Joiner the White. <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime, we are being joined by, as usual, Mr. Gerard Delatour. Kept you waiting, huh? And Jesse Garrett. Hi. And um, before we dive into our discussion on the invisible hand we're going to be talking about a very stupid thing that happened there may there's a show you may not have heard of it it's called ultimate spider-man and it's written by these guys who call themselves man of average (laughs) that's not what they call themselves greg yeah, you're right, you're right. Gotta be nice. Men of action. And they appeared at Long Beach Comic Con, and we would have talked about this sooner, but we haven't actually recorded a fan section here since August, and Long Beach Comic Con was in September. They appeared at Long Beach Comic Con, and they were recorded saying, I don't know who asked them this, but they were, but they immediately started defending the storytelling on their show, Ultimate Spider-Man, and they outright diss and point at Spectacular Spider-Man. They say, people ask us, why that went away? And the reason why that show went away is because a, a, a six-year-old, a kid, is not going to respond to the storytelling there like they would on Ultimate Spider-Man. And before we jump into this, we've got two rebuttals. My, the first rebuttal, rebuttal is, that is not why the show went away. It went away because Sony gave the TV rights back to Marvel in exchange for a concession for the movies, and Disney swooped in and bought, the, and bought Marvel shortly around the same time. We'll never know exactly what happened, but that is not why it went away. The show kicked ass in the ratings, and the merchandise actually sold well. And I hear people say, well, the merchandise for Ultimate Spider-Man kicks all sorts of ass. Yeah, it's the only merchandise with Spider-Man that you can get. Even the Lego sets are branded Ultimate Spider-Man. Well, there you go. And the other rebuttal, the rebuttal that a kid is not going to respond to that... My friend Kristen Zanero is joining us. She is a proud mother of a two-and-a-half-year-old who... Well, I'll just let her speak for herself. Kristen, go on. Take these people apart. Okay. Now that I've watched the sickening, twisted uh, horror show that is the ultimate Spider-Man and their quest to say that they are better than spectacular Spider-Man. Liar! Okay, so... Um, my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter... For her second birthday from Greg and his brother Alex, actually got the entire DVD set for Spectacular Spider-Man. Now, my daughter is an exceptionally brilliant child. She even read the case going, Spec Spider-Man! And I'm looking at her like, did I just? No. Okay, I did hear you say that because she said it twice. Well, we had just gotten finished watching the entire DVD Loves it. She dances around to it. She's completely into it. Goes into classic toddler zombie mode. Kid sitting in front of him, hands on the knees and staring at the screen. Well, one day, not too long after she had just finished it, Ultimate Spider-Man comes on in Disney XD. 
I decided to put it on for her because my kid loves Spider-Man. I'm sitting here watching it, thinking it's garbage. And my daughter, quick as a flash, points at the screen and says, no, bad. And now Spider-Man is on the screen. Peter Parker's transforming into Spider-Man. And she points again, no, bad. I'm looking at her going, okay, I guess we're not watching it. And I shut it off. Now, I decide to try her again a couple months later, actually not that long ago, and, well, she watched it for all of 30 seconds, grabbed the remote, and shut the TV off. And I'm looking at her going, what, it's Spider-Man. No, it no, okay, I guess we're going to put him back down. And there you go. Living proof that children as young as two, not six, fucking two, understand it. So, you know, screw that. <laughs> wow. Just wow. I mean, if you're going to diss a show that a lot of people love, make sure to do your research first before you open your mouth. Yeah, yeah that's good advice. And make sure your show's actually good. <laughs> Any other comments on that? Uh, no, she pretty much nailed it. Jesse? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think it's incredibly petty for creators to do that, regardless. You know, you, you kind of want to keep a sense of of professionalism. But I mean, I, I have a nephew; he's five, and he prefers Ultimate Spider-Man, but he still likes Spectacular Spider-Man. It's not like one or the other; he can enjoy right. both. Right. And yeah, for them to for them to just bash it like that for no reason, it, it's I, I regardless think it, of the it, quality of their show, it looks bad on them. I think in a sense it at least demonstrates that something that we've always suspected, which is that they probably he- hear about Spectacular on a constant basis, and it, it must get under their skin at some point, that they yeah. look at it and constantly being unfavorably compared. Rightfully so, of course, but still, that's got to that's gotta bug them. Yeah, I probably shouldn't say this, but I just began, so I'm going to. But after I had posted that video clip on my YouTube about two or three days later, one of the Man of Action guys actually seeks me out on Twitter and says, Hey, we didn't diss it. We love Greg Wiseman. We love his show. We didn't diss it. (laughs) We didn't diss it, despite all of the audio evidence of the contrary. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. video evidence of the contrary. You got audio, you got video, and there's just no way of denying it. But go ahead, good try. Bravo, good try. Mm-hmm. And I feel, I think despite some people wanting to treat kids like little idiot humans who have to be fed pablum as entertainment because their minds aren't developed enough to handle complexity or character development or any ambiguity between good or evil, movies and TV for kids don't have to be sugary love fests where no one good ever gets hurt and everyone lives happily ever after and everything is wrapped up all nice and tidy. That's a level of condensation that I find incredibly offensive. Great movies and shows are great because they have great stories, compelling characters, engaging characters, not because they can be upbeat and kids and buy toys that go along with it. 
in the early to mid '80s, there were a lot of kids' movies like this where they were really dark, and that's why to me those are the best ones. Because it's the difference between. Go ahead. I was going to say they're not not to the. I mean, at the end of the day, they ended up having some element of hope or happiness at the end of it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, and Walt Disney famously, when he wasn't hating on Jews, he would famously say when he was accused when someone accused him of Snow White being too scary for children, he said, "Who says I make my movies just for children?" Mm-hmm. I mean. You look at this thing. I mean, you look at Snow White. Look at Sleeping Beauty. Look at Little Mermaid. Look at Beauty and the Beast. Aladdin. The Great Mouse Detective. I mean, I mean, Secrets of Nim being a big mm-hmm. example of that one. Yeah, Secrets. I mean, I mean, for God's sake, one of the uh, TV shows in the '90s that was a smash hit across all ages with kids and everybody was Batman the Animated Series. That show was dark as hell. My daughter's mm-hmm. too, and she loves it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, also, on that note, Zach isn't here, but I re- really want to do this again. We recorded it all together last time in August. October came and went, and October was the 20th anniversary for two shows that probably mean a lot to this podcast. The 20th anniversary of Gargoyles, where Greg Wiseman got his start, and the 20th anniversary of, this, of Spider-Man, the animated series. So yeah, it was. I feel so October, old. Yeah, me too. <laughs> October 1994 was a very important month for a lot of young geeks. We are, we are old, but we still enjoy our cartoons. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. And uh, but uh, my God, just I I cannot believe they said that. I'm I'm still find it preposterous, and they have no shame about it. Haven't they subsequently announced that show is ending anyway? I have no idea. I've heard it is, but I've also heard that it isn't, and I don't know. Maybe they're rebranding it, but I mean, I would hope that the next Spider-Man cartoon would be better, but Jeff Loeb is still running the place, and these are the people he hired to pretty much run their entire animated division. I mean, Hulk Agents of Smash sucks, Avengers Assemble sucks, and he actually... Jeff Loeb legitimately murdered that one. It's spectacular Spider-Man. He can say there was corporate politics. Marvel couldn't have continued it even if they wanted to. But Avengers assembles replacing Earth's Mightiest Heroes, which is an actual good cartoon. I mean, he just didn't want to continue that. (laughs) By the way, Ultimate Spider-Man was rebranded, if I remember right, because they did that stupid Web Warriors thing. And I remember because I I got so sick of hearing about it because, of course, everybody looks at me like, hey, he's a Spider-Girl guy. Let's tell him, look, Spider-Girl's going to be on this show. I'm like, no, she's not. And they're like, but look, she's in it. I'm like, no. They're like, like, what, you think it's not going to be Mae Parker? I'm like, hell no, it's not going to be Mae Parker. And they're like, oh, a baby. Like, come on. They had, had, you know, what, what makes you say that? And I'm like, well, they had Scarlet Spider on the show and he was Flash Thompson. And they're like, uh, touche. And I've su- it- I was subsequently proven right, of course, because it's not. It's spider that, That's asking it- too much. <laughs> what did it turn out to be? Uh, a gender-swapped Peter Parker. Uh, right. Chasing his arch-nemesis, Norma Osborn. <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I dressed my daughter as Mae Parker for Halloween. She loved it. I went as Mary Jane. My husband was Peter. And I just, I can't show my kids anything good. 
send Gerard pictures of this. I've never directly spoken to you until tonight. I love you already. <laughs> Can I move into your house? <laughs> well, I got room, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm technically handy. I can take care of stuff. <laughs> I've got, like, the cutest picture of her in her little, you know, Spider-Girl dress, because I couldn't get her into the full suit. And she's actually got my uh, Canon T3i camera around her neck with the strap, and she's holding it up to take a picture. <laughs> Oh. Like uh, I actually even captured it, little May Parker, just like Daddy. <laughs> I couldn't help it. It's beautiful. <laughs> Listen up, everyone. This is the first. Gerard is tearing up. He has emotion. Well, to be fair, I was also eating lemons earlier. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> It's not a joke, by the way. I was actually eating. I was like, I had a lemon in my hand, like whole. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> you're, you're, right, <laughs> you're right there with my daughter. Then she's like nuts about lemons. This kid. I like lemons in my water. Yeah, didn't she eat the lemon out of your water that day we went to the restaurant? Yes, I remember this now. <laughs> is that the same day she kicked my brother in the crush? It is. It is exactly the same day because he had to hand her over to me real quick when he went down. <laughs> he works at Walmart. He's probably been kicking the crush before. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. And Jesse, are you, are you alive over there? You lose yeah, him? I'm just listening to this kid. He, she sounds awesome. <laughs> she is awesome, and I don't even like kids. My kid tends to be the rare exception. Yeah, and um, before we say goodbye to Kristen, because I know she's got some other to do, tell us a bit more about uh, this kid, what she likes and what she doesn't like. All right. Well, my kid absolutely loves a different spectrum of things. You know, she's typical toddler with her educational shows like the Sprout Channel. But at the same time, she also loves gargoyles. I would hope so. It's her namesake. And she yes. absolutely loves the 90s animated series of Batman, Spectacular Spider-Man. I did have her watch a bit of the, you know, 90s series of Spider-Man. We got through some of that. And um, amazingly, you know, unlike most kids who love, you know, freaking uh, My Little Pony, my kid hates it. My kid hates My Little Pony. I attempted to, because she likes horses and things, you know, normal horses, you know. She likes, like, the Pegasus from Hercules. She loves that stuff. I attempted to give her Rainbow Dash from My Little Pony. I just happened to know the name because I loved the show when I was a child, when, you know, most people were expected to like it. And she looks at it and looks at me very confused and throws it and said, no. <laughs> and I'm looking at it like, wait, it, it's a, it's like Pegasus. No, mommy. Okay. I can't. I guess we have to find it somewhere else. <laughs> and then I, I come over with the stuffed Spider-Man, and she hugs it to her chest, going, and she won't give it back. So I'm like, okay. Well, at least I know you like that better. <laughs> I am proud to call this child my niece. <laughs> to quote Kevin Durant, Angel, you the real MVP. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wonderful story. <laughs> Jeff Loeb, <laughs> the ball is in your court now. 
Oh, he's not listening to us. <laughs> no. Of course not. But I'm going to tweet a link to this to the Man of Action, guys. That's going to only end badly, Greg. I don't care. The rantings and ravings of a mother of a two-and-a-half-year-old about how they are total fucking liars. Yeah, they're going to love that. (laughs) I'd like to take this moment to read a statement prepared by lawyers. Views and opinions expressed by the members of this podcast are unique to the member that speaks it and is not indicative of the opinions of everyone else on the show, nor of anyone that runs the website or show that this is based on. (laughs) Yeah, Zach's not editing this. I'm not bleeping out her bad language. (laughs) Yeah. We're just a bunch of assholes who know what we like, and if you don't like what we like, oh well, we've gotten over it. Love it. Love it. Well, anyway, thank you for being here, Kristen. That was awesome. No problem, guys. Happy to do it. Okay, have a good night. Bye. You too. Bye. Bye. All right. And now we move on. And listeners, I hope you enjoyed that also as much as we did. We're moving on to um, the meat of the... <laughs> I, don't know, I, I don't know if we're even going to listen beyond that, because the show is downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. But anyway, <laughs> we are now going to... Talk about the invisible hand. Ooh, economics. I was going to say, not the actual theory of the invisible hand, of course, but you mean the the, uh, the episode. Nah, nah, we don't have Jason here. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Jason is our resident uh, right-winger. Oh, no, I was going to drop, just, just put someone on the spot to explain the concept of the invisible hand. Uh, if I remember right, it's... um. Oh God! Is that the, if you're attempting to gain money and power for yourself, it may inadvertently help society or something along those lines, right? I guess. I mean, it's uh, that's certainly what Ayn Rand thought, and we're going to stop there because <laughs> I'll do that for better minds than us. <laughs> Did go that, for, would long, that would deter the worse. podcast a long time. Yeah, okay. All right, the invisible hand. We open at the LTL body shop, or rather, inside the secret laboratory below the LTL body shop, where Dr. Otto Octavius is preparing to attach an exoskeleton onto Alex O'Hearn's body, modeled after that of a rhinoceros. Otto goes a little bit mad scientist here. You can tell he's enjoying this. Though Octavius is worried about going through with the experiment, Norman Osborne and Hammerhead force him to activate it. O'Hearn's body is surgically attached to the suit and is given immense strength. Meanwhile, Peter Parker is at the Daily Beagle trying to ask out Betty Brandt to a school's fall formal. Despite their four-year age difference, she finally agrees to consider it, and Peter hurries homeward, accelerated, until he realizes he will need money for the date. He tells his best friend Harry about his plans at school the next day. Flash overhears and doesn't believe Betty exists. Then bets that Peter won't show up with any date before both bet that the flutes are dressed as a cheerleader for Halloween. <laughs> I'm sitting here just laughing because it's like, Flash doesn't think that Betty exists. And I'm thinking, this is the point where Josh would, would jump in and say, until she blows up his apartment or, you know, something like that. We need Bertoni here. <laughs> Bertoni, we miss you. Please come back to our show. This episode's Bertoni bait. Yes, it is. Peter then receives a text message that his Aunt May is having lunch with Betty at the Bugle. Flash Thompson gives, then gives Peter a noogie just before Peter runs off. O'Hearn dubs himself the Rhino and storms the Bugle main office where Aunt May and Betty are having lunch and demands that J. Jonah Jameson tell him where Peter is. As he knows, Peter photographs Spider-Man. I love that 
O'Hearn is the first of the villains to really figure this out. Peter Parker! I love that, yeah. By the way, uh, uh, not to interrupt your recap, but uh, we're past 15 minutes. I just wanted you to make sure it's still recording. It is. Okay, thumbs up. Okay. Jameson spots Peter hiding hiding after just arriving and lies to Rhino about not knowing where he is, or really who he is. Peter sneaks off and dons his Spider-Man costume, then engages Rhino in a fight. He wonders what the big man has been up to with all these supervillains, like Rhino, and what he has been organizing. Spider has a large-scale brawl throughout the city, and soon realizes that Rhino needs to be constantly hydrated in order to fight. He lures him into a steam tunnel and breaks all the pipes, dehydrating Rhino into unconsciousness as he passes out Rhino accidentally mentions that the big man is really a man named Mr. Lincoln. Clearly O'Hearn heard Osborne mention Mr. Lincoln over the PA. Four score and seven years ago. <laughs> yeah, Peter goes back, to the, goes back to the bugle and claims to have been hiding the whole time. Betty pulls him aside and tells him that she is simply too old to date him and is sorry. Peter's downtrodden, but if again, if Bertone would hear, he would tell Peter that he had just dodged a major bullet. <laughs> And then Peter remembers the rhino said and asks Frederick Foswell if he knows anyone by that name. Foswell tells him about L. Thompson Lincoln, a philanthropist, who is rumored to be a dangerous crime lord. That night, Peter goes to Lincoln's office as Spider-Man to find out if the rumors are true. Lincoln prefers to be addressed as Tombstone, and in one of the series' most badass moments, he takes advantage of Spidey's cockiness and pins him down and suggests that he come work for him, fighting crime like usual but looking the other way when ordered. Ordered. Spider-Man refuses to do so and runs off as Tombstone summons the police. When Peter gets home, he is depressed. Aunt May insists that he gets dressed for the formal and explains that she has arranged for him to go with Mary Jane Watson. Peter, being a shallow teenager, is briefly horrified before the door opens and we, the viewers at home, are chanting, Say it! Say it! As he is met by a gorgeous redhead who says one of the most iconic lines in all of comics. Who wants to say it? Jesse does. Oh, no, no. Damn. <laughs> Do it. Yes. <clears throat> Face it, Tiger. You just hit the jackpot. Yes. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah, it's just as good as Vanessa doing it at the very beginning of this podcast, which your listeners have probably already heard by now. <laughs> so um, impressed. So we'll start with Jesse. You're watching this for the first time. What did you think of this episode? I enjoyed this a lot more than I expected for a Rhino episode. Uh, <clears throat> so we got a lot of good character beats here. Like, I, I like the human particularly in this, but, uh, you know, getting a Rhino fighting Spider-Man is always fun in that he uses his brain. And the whole sweating angle, I'm not sure that's been tackled before, like in the comics or anything. But I, I like seeing him outsmart him, and particularly taking him down to the sewers was... It was pretty clever, I thought. Yeah. We, we got some good character beats with Jonah here. I always like when they show Jonah to be, like, a decent person, even though he's a complete blowhard. <laughs> that's Jonah at his core. Yeah, yeah that, that's the, you know, the central to the character there. Uh, also, <clears throat> I'm sorry, excuse me. I liked, of course, Mary Jane's thing was, like, the best. That's, they nailed it, nailed it perfectly right there uh we got some good character beats with that and we got some good uh oh go away oh. i'm sorry <clears throat> you're being attacked by roving animals well my dog 
The dog likes the episode too. Yeah, yeah. He gives it two paws up now. <laughs> but we got some good character beats and we got some good movement with some of the subplots here. Yeah. But as far as Rhino goes, and the the plot with the big man's crew, the payoff at the end here with Tombstone made it because while he's a surrogate kingpin in this so far, he completely owns him. And he sends Spider-Man packing with his tail between his legs. Yeah, I and love that scene. That was really like, just awesome. Like, I don't want to, you know, you know, I want the character to succeed. I don't want to see him be chumped like that, but he he really legitimizes himself as a threat by that point. And I think they do it well. I mean, nowadays in comics, when they try to legitimize a villain as a threat, it's usually done in a way that makes your eyes roll, and you're lucky if that's your worst reaction. Yeah, it didn't It didn't diminish Spider-Man's character at all, and how they did it. It didn't have to make him look bad to make Tombstone look better. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. But we'll go on. No, well, we'll counter. Why do you think it would have? I don't know. The, the whole thing smacked of the wharf effect to me. With, to use TV trolls parlance. In case anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about. Oh, I know what you're talking they, about. Well, I mean, you know, for the listeners, who knows? Whenever a, a, a new villain would show up on Star Trek The Next Generation that they needed to immediately establish as being powerful, they would just basically just have to smack the shit out of Worf who was supposed to be, like, this big, tough guy. So it was like, oh, like, oh he, they must be serious. They just beat up Worf. But after a while, it just makes Worf look like a chump. <laughs> where it, 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 I got that feeling watching the end of this episode where Spider-Man, you know, goes to him, and he just immediately just beats the crap out of him in three seconds and puts him down well, on the ground. Uh, I'm like, okay, yeah, <laughs> calm yeah, down. Well, we talk, when we talk about that scene with Wiseman and Vanessa, Wiseman discussed it, that Spidey just beat the rhino. He went in there really cocky, really full of himself, and he was just taken by surprise. And it wasn't really a fight scene so much as he was taken by surprise and then it turned into a conversation. I mean, if it, had, if it was a prolonged fight scene, it may have gone differently, but... Yeah, I'm not sure I'm yeah, lying. That, that would make sense if he just tackled him straight down, but he didn't. They exchanged a few punches and he just knocked him out cold. Basically, which I like that, that's a little different than if he just like, you know, tripped him and dropped him right down or something. I don't know, yeah, but, but, I, but we'll, we'll agree to disagree on this one. I don't want to walk yeah. all over Jesse's moment here. I, I can see that. But yeah, I kind of took it more like Greg was saying in that he he was surprised and more kind of get, getting his measure by that point. Of course, the guy did, you know, crush a cue ball or eight ball with his hand. So that would intimidate me. <laughs> yeah, and somebody has seen the Smooth Criminal video. <laughs> <laughs> and sadly, unfortunately, the show got canceled before we really get a Tombstone origin for this show, so it's ambiguous as to whether he has superpowers or not. But if he crushes an eight ball with his bare hand, this guy's got super strength. Well, again, I mean, Michael Jackson crushed a, a cue ball with his hand. So. <laughs> and, he, and he had super strength, too. <laughs> well, he, yeah, he's also a super villain, so hey. <laughs> Actually, if you've seen Moonwalker, Joe Pesci is a, a super villain. Well, there you go. No, I just—I didn't say he was a supervillain. I said he had super strength. <laughs> That's true. But um, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of with Jesse on this. Also, with 
Rhino, when I heard this is coming, I was, I was looking forward to it because I enjoyed the show and I enjoyed the work of the people behind the show, but it was like, uh, Rhino's one of my least favorite of Spidey's villains, and I ended up enjoying it. I mean, I liked Clancy Brown's performance as Rhino. It was also George Stacy there, and it was cool to see George Stacy get introduced and uh, not be Dennis Leary. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, was, I threw that in there for you, Gerard. Can I, threw that can I make a little side comment about that? Yeah, sure. I, go I, on. I remember I was sitting there, I was watching. Uh, I watched through the Raimi trilogy with my sister once recently, and uh, we're watching Spider-Man three. And she's like getting kind of mad. I'm like, "What's the matter?" She's like, "Oh, why is like Captain Stacy an old man? Like, it's so much better. Like, you know, like Dennis Leary. Like, that's how it is in the comics, right?" I'm like, "Actually, in the comics, he's also an old man. Also, he's dead." Yeah. <laughs> she's like, "Wait, what?" Well, of course, you know, he dies at the end of The Amazing Spider-Man. But, like, she was attempting to argue to me that, like, Captain Stacy is a young man, and I had to throw down my comics knowledge, basically slap her into the corner. Yeah, this George seems like he's older, but he's not really an old man. Like, he hasn't suffered his injury yet that will retire him and have him walk with a cane. But, I mean, I tend to think if the show had gone on, we would have eventually seen that, but... We probably would have seen a lot of... I mean, uh, th- that's ultimately the takeaway from this show, isn't it? Where Well, we would have gotten more if it had, hadn't been cancelled. But, but what, we got, what we got was great, and I, he, he doesn't do too much in this episode, but I enjoyed him, and um, I enjoy Hammerhead Norman scenes a lot, also. It's, um... <laughs> Norman throws his son out of him. I mean, Harry just bursts in at a criminal mafia meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, haven't we all? Yes, yes, we have. Lock your office door, Norman, when you've got the criminal over. <laughs> well, it's like uh, it's like Richard Nixon recording himself. Nobody, they don't lock their doors cause, or 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 anything because they think they're invincible and they can get away with it. Harry, can't you see I'm busy? Get out. <laughs> As if Norman would really care that like <laughs> about all the petty things, kid things he's talking about. Doesn't this kid know his own dad? Like you, you think at that point. He would... <laughs> I don't know, that, that always strikes me as strange, where, like, where characters don't seem to have any awareness of what other characters are like, even though they obviously should. Oh, I think Harry does. He's just in denial. <laughs> I get the feeling Harry's busted into a conversation like this his whole life, and he's still just oblivious to it. I mean, I mean, Norman's obviously had dealings with these people before. He knew who the big man was. I mean, he mentions Mr. Lincoln at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like I said, there's a lot of great moments in here. I enjoy most of the stuff with Peter, and I really wish we had Bertoni on this month for the Betty Brant Aunt May scene with Aunt May manipulating Peter's relationships. This is Bertoni gold. <laughs> it's a lot better than the stupid aerobicizing Aunt May from Ultimate Spider Man, right? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> mm hmm. And. I really enjoyed Jameson's moments in this episode. It's, I mean, like I said, he's a blowhard, he's over the top, but he's got to have a certain humanity to him. Otherwise, he just becomes a cartoon character, and unfortunately, that's the way he's been written post-2007 uh, a lot. Yeah, kind of. I mean, the last J. Jonah Jameson comic book story I can honestly say that I enjoyed was that Peter David written one that our Good friend Zach, who died fighting the Balrog, <laughs> helped come helped create when he meant, when he asked Peter David on the crawlspace if Jonah and Peter were going to have a confrontation after Peter's unmasking. You know what? You know what really astounds me about that though. 
is that somehow this entire story got through an editorial group that had, like, three comics going, and not one person thought of that beforehand. <laughs> like, wouldn't that be one of the first things you would think of? Like, all right, make sure we get a story in there where J. Jonah Jameson reacts to this. <laughs> like, why the hell wasn't that part of the original plan to begin with? I, have, I imagine too many of the editors and writers at the time were weeping with sorrow over what they knew was coming. Well, <laughs> there is that, yeah. We're not making any jokes about them. That those jokes are so 2007, 2008. But no, the hell with that. <laughs> the hell with it. Oh, it's so 2007. I will fucking take. I'll take it to my my dying day of being pissed about this. I don't care. <laughs> the hell with you, Greg. On that note, when at the gathering 2008 at the Spectacular Spider-Man that year, Greg was asked, "Are there any villains he will never use on Spectacular Spider-Man?" And he just said, "Mephisto." Next question. <laughs> well played, Wiseman. Well played. <laughs> Again, just like to point out, Mephisto was considered too dumb as a way to end the Clone Saga. He was. <laughs> but um, oh, that's gonna be a fun CSC episode once we get there. <laughs> yeah, in five years. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. The introduction to Mary Jane was absolutely pitch perfect, and uh, we'll talk more about Mary Jane herself in the next episode. But um, but it was great. It's a scene that I'm glad it's the second time it was adapted. The 90s adapted it. The um, this show adapted it. I would love to see the movies adapted sometime. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. Oh yeah, I don't think it's going to happen with these current movies, but um. That's a whole other other story. Maybe we'll talk about Sony and their votes before we talk about Catalyst. So, you know, I, oh my god, I forgot to mention that before we started recording. I wanted to know if you wanted to mention something about that. but Let's move that to the beginning of Catalyst since we're going to okay. be there in real time soon. But, um, okay. Yeah, I'll edit this. My, this is my baptism of fire. Oh, you're going to edit this one as your first editing job? Yeah, it is. Good luck. So sorry. Good luck. <laughs> I'm out of swearing in this episode. I'm not going to bleep it. Are you just going to put a warning on there? Yes. Okay. Okay, okay. All right. And um, let's see, other moments. I mean, um, one of the, I mean, Gerard, what were your thoughts on how they utilize, say, Rhino or any other elements in the episode? Hmm. I have, I, have mi- I have mixed feelings about Rhino. On the one hand, I'm not too attached to the version from the comics because he is just a thug. Same. I mean, he, he is just a goon, and in and in this show, he is also just a goon. Except that in this time around, he's an American goon as opposed to a Russian one. It oh when yeah, it on. reminds me a lot of um how everybody was complaining that they didn't adapt the Mandarin in Iron Man three, and I always mm-hmm. point out that they couldn't because the Mandarin from the comics is completely outdated since we're in the you know post <laughs> Cold War era. It doesn't really make sense. Same thing applies, I think, to Rhino, where you, you can't have the classic Rhino origin in a way that makes sense anymore. No, no, you really can't. So, so this is a good alternative, and I like that. Yeah, unless he's working for Putin. <laughs> Putin no, Putin is, is way too large-scale a villain for Spider-Man. You need to have the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, fight him, because he's serious business. With his, with his mountain, with his missiles inside of it. <laughs> yes, I am Putin. Peter Parker, I walk into your house. It has always been Russian territory. I am Putin. <laughs> um, I, I do like that they established... I don't know if we mentioned this in previous... I'm sure we did, because you think ahead, but... Gerard, I don't know if I mentioned... I love that they set 
uh, O'Hearn up beforehand. So that. Hi, Mike. Can you hear me now? Yes. Hello. I can yes, hear you. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. Uh, okay, I was saying before, um, uh, uh, I think it's great that they established him ahead of time. So that when they started at the start of the episode, you could just begin immediately with him being encased in the suit without having to explain who he is or anything like that, because you already know. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, Osborne just has, you know, a convenient cell block where he keeps pulling thugs from. Well, these guys already worked for Hammerhead, so he was able to grab them. Yep. Makes it nice and easy, although I think that makes it a little too easy, because then every single villain starts coming out of Os- Oscorp. To be fair, this is the last time they really do that. I mean, except for Doc Ock and Goblin, I think. <laughs> except for <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but it's not. But it's not planned. It's not on purpose. It's not like what the current movies are doing. I mean, we've got more villains coming in season two, and except for just one, they're not tied to Oscorp. <laughs> okay, I'll hold you to that. So, yeah, so it's really just um, these two, Sandman and. Um, Rhino, who were commissioned by the big man, and the goblin comes along sort of on its own, but but we'll talk about the goblin late, at a much later date. And, so, um, so, so far, the lizard has been the only villain not tied to Oscorp. The Electro? Electro? Oh, yeah, I forgot about Electro. And was sh- the Shocker count? I mean, Norman kind of tipped him off to steal this thing, but that was really something that the big man did on his own. I mean, it's a, there's a loose connection there, but it's not. Right. But uh, we don't Oscorp, know where they got the suit from. That may have just been Oscorp R and D. No, it came from Tricorp. Oh right, I forgot about that. Yeah, Tricorp was Norman's competitor, and he just said to these guys, "Why don't you hit these guys?" I mean, and because they're his competitor, and and then big man's guys do that, and they keep the suit and they give it to Montana. Right. So it's, so it's very loose. It's not like, and it's not at all like what the movies are doing. Well, we're not doing because they probably won't be another one. But <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that next month, guys. Um, just, I'm just gonna skim through some of the other things that I wrote down. These are like random observations I made during the episode, which uh, I'm gonna edit this out. But this is the only episode I wrote notes for because I didn't have time to rewatch Catalyst. Although I remember the episode fairly well, so shouldn't be a problem discussing. Okay, end edit. Um, uh. I, I noticed early on that there, there's a scene where Spider-Man is chasing down a couple of criminals that are in a car. I believe they just stole the car. I can't quite remember, but he starts chasing them down. He pokes his head in there, and they make a reference to the fact that Spider-Man's been busy fighting supervillains, mm-hmm. which indicates some level of awareness that Spider-Man is now starting to change his activities from just beating up petty thugs like he was over that summer before school started. I believe Hammerhead's been tipping them off. Yeah, so we're starting to get some idea that that uh, what Spider-Man's generally doing is becoming more well-known to people. The cops are more aware of him, that kind of stuff. His pictures are in the paper now. Yep, his legend is growing. Legends of Spider-Man. <laughs> I, I like... Uh, <laughs> Bertoni's going to think this is crazy out of context, but I like Betty, uh, Peter trying to get Betty to go on a date with him, because it's, it's just cute. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, all jokes aside about how the nut of a character she is in the comics, like she doesn't have much of a character here in the show, and outside of this, we really don't really see all that much of her, really. Well, like I said, Peter dodged a major bullet. 
I like to think she is this crazy kook, but Peter <laughs> will never find out because he just managed to avoid that bullet. Although Ned Lee is around, so you never know. <laughs> and they're playing Hobgoblin for season three, so you never know. <laughs> Poor Ned, he likes ketchup on his hot dogs. Uh, I, I love the bit of Rhino just sort of casually walking into the Daily Bugle, like walking around the street, going into the elevator. <laughs> and he has Frederick Foswell push the buttons. Yeah, going up to the top. It's just, I don't know, I find it amusing when I see garishly dressed people doing mundane things. <laughs> Especially since he's gigantic, and how the hell would the elevator even operate? But, yeah, I was like, how is it not breaking? Like <laughs> Who cares? It was a great moment, especially he's all polite and nice to Foswell and hit 22, please. And then he just bursts out like this gigantic Godzilla-ish monster. <laughs> right, baby, Peter Parker. The mood whiplash is wonderful. <laughs> you can't escape me. Uh, sorry, wrong show. Uh, Jonah stands up for Peter, which is cool, but it's totally ripped off from the first Raimi movie <laughs> where the same exact scene happens. Except it's the Green Goblin in the movie. Yeah, well, um, it is. It, well, it's a great moment. You may, yeah. I mean, it's a great moment. It's a great Jonah ripping. I mean, it's not. An, it's not obnoxious like certain other shows or current comics would be doing. I mean, it makes sense for Jonah to, to do. And uh, hasn't Jonah done that sort of thing in the comics plenty? I can't even recall. <laughs> You're asking me to remember. It Jonah seems like something other than Blink. It seems like something that's been done before, but right. It would make sense. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of like sort of like the bit in this episode where he surfs the with the hood of the car. That's from Spider-Man three, but it was also previously yeah. in the comics. And there's also the Spider-Man two moment where he webs the uh, truck. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of the show utilizes that stuff well, except in one episode, and we've argued about this off the air before, and we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> you know that episode drives me crazy. Which is yeah, ironic. Right. Because, I gotta say, I've got a. a isn't a, that Josh Keats? The next episode. <laughs> uh oh. Um, okay, a couple more things. Like, uh, Spider Man calls Jonah pickle puss in this episode. That's the first time. I think this is the first time Spider Man and Jonah actually meet. Right, but I just grinned from ear to ear because I remember the ninety. It made me think of the ninety show where he called him pickle puss pretty much all the time. Mm-hmm. Pickle puss. Pickle puss. Hey there, pickle puss. <laughs> Um, <laughs> of course, as you know, I'm a hockey fan, so it, it, so I, I notice bizarre things sometimes, and in this one, when he gets into the sporting goods store, he, he sort of gets flung into a, a pile of hockey sticks, and I notice that they break and make a wooden clanking sound. Someone failed in the research department! Hockey sticks aren't made out of wood anymore. <laughs> Maybe they're vintage hockey sticks. <laughs> they're, no, I mean they're too da- they're too dangerous. That's why they stopped making them out of wood. Well, this was 2008. Were they still making them out of wood in 2008? Well, God no. <laughs> I Did don't they know anything. Like about the 1920s or I don't think they've been. Oh my God! I want to say the 70s or the 80s. Maybe they were on clearance. <laughs> get your get your three uh, year old hockey sticks. Yeah. Get your arm-breaking hockey sticks here. Remember what I did to them bowling balls. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. 
they they do still exist, but uh, yeah, just co- that's a completely random observation. It's nothing to do with anything. I don't know why I even noticed it. I'm like, is that what? Yeah. They don't make hockey sticks. Well, they do, but yeah. Yeah, but there are a lot of lines in this episode I, I enjoy. I do enjoy George Stacey's so, attention. Rhino, come out of your uh, crater. It's also cute because you got Clancy uh, Brown talking to himself. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff happens a lot in animation, especially if you're, you know, like Steve Bloom or Nolan North or Troy Baker, who just constantly talks to yourself. Oh, God, Jeff Bennett on Gargoyles talk to himself all the time. <laughs> Even better when they don't, when it's like, especially this happens a lot in video games where they'll record voice clips just randomly. And then they piece them together for ambient conversations, but you might end up with two of the identical Nolan North voices talking to each other. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff is yeah. funny. Um, one really, uh, one observation that's a significant one that I do have to make is the way of complaint about this episode. I think the fight goes on for way too long. And it basically eats out the entire middle third, more than that, of the episode. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, this is a bit much. I get I get the idea, which is that he's wearing the rhino down, and therefore you have to show via progression that he's getting tired, and it helps if you make the fight longer, yeah. but I think it does go on a bit too much. Yeah, and as we see in this episode and later episodes, the board artists love these fight scenes, and they do a great job with them. These are some of the most well-choreographed fight scenes I've seen in animation in a very long time, especially up until that point. Mm-hmm. I, I, love, I love the lighting in that fight scene, too, going in and out of the sewers where you have from dark to light, you have lights flashing in, that kind of stuff. Well, well animated. Um, curiously empty streets, but <laughs> that always happens. I didn't notice that. That, always, that. It's animation. They just They just don't. They can't do it. I don't, yeah, it, co- it, co- it costs money I to animate people. I mean, any, watch any cartoon that takes place in New York City, and the streets are always almost empty. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't even just go for cartoons. It goes for comics, video games, everything. Yeah. <laughs> the streets of New York are always curiously empty in other media that aren't movies, where you can't just pay extras to walk around in the background. I mean, we've seen crowds at times, but I know they save the crowd moments for when they actually need the crowds there. Mm-hmm. I just found it, um, what's the best way to put it? Th- it made it weird in this episode because Rhino was, say, like, throwing things at Spidey, and Spidey's talking about it, he has to protect civilians, but really, there's only, like, maybe one or two people walking around anyway. So it comes off as kind of hollow, where he's talking about, like, oh, well, I stopped the fire hydrant from hitting, you know, that random guy over there. The only guy on this block, thank, what an amazing coincidence, that it almost hit him. But I need to take this somewhere, I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah, he says he needs to take, you know, he needs to, like, protect the civilians. So he leads them underground, where he can make all the manholes explode out of the road. <laughs> He'd probably cause more damage that way than he would if he was... Like, I was watching, I'm like, now what if somebody was, like, sitting on top of that manhole? <laughs> oh my god, what if there were a bunch of kids playing stickball and they were standing on second base, which was always the manhole cover? A kid would be up in the, a kid would be face first into an airplane right now. So this is nineteen so this is nineteen twenties depression, New York City. <laughs> well kids are inside playing video games. <laughs> Actually during the summertime you'd be surprised. Not stickball, there's a lot of basketball yeah. football still. Well, I think we're in October or late September at this point, I'm not sure, because I know Halloween's coming up here, but... Right, right. And this show does follow a specific time scale that you can track. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much all I... Oh, yeah, and of course, the face at Tiger moment is, of course... Oh, yeah. Except the complaint that I have about Mary Jane I'll make in the next episode, which will break your heart, because it's not something you would expect me to say. 
<laughs> okay, um, then we'll talk about that very soon, next month. I mean, I, I enjoyed the episode. I mean, I have no real major complaints with it, but I get what you're saying, and again, the limitations of television animation, I mean, there should have been, there should, it would have been nice to have crowds there, but what are you going to do? I mean, yeah. have the budget that, for that, it. That's a, that's a complaint that, I, that I'm making about the episode that isn't even really specific to the, it's not the fault of the people that made the show, that's just the limitations of your, your, what they have to work with. Right, right. If, this, got a was like, if this show was like CG animated or something, it would be... A, no, it isn't. But, <laughs> there's some things that are actually, um, no, it's it's hand-drawn, it's colored with computers. But it's no, 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 I'm saying if it was, if the show was entirely CG animated, then they probably would have been able to do better with the crowds, but I'm saying because it isn't. Right. Some, just or some poor bastard has to draw 10,000 characters, or that's yeah. how they would be. You know, I don't yeah. blame them for not doing it. Jesse, you said you had a question? Yeah, so, I just remembered this. So, Mary Jane basically, well, she meddles with Peter's life pretty heavily here. Do you think she was in the right to do that? Uh, you mean Aunt May? Mary Jane? You mean Aunt May? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yeah, Aunt May, not Mary Jane. Yeah. Um, to be honest, Peter is a minor. He is 16. Aunt May is his parent, so... Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, okay, yeah, obviously. He wasn't he wasn't taking Betty to the to the dance so that he could, you know, screw her afterwards. It wasn't anything like that. You know, you have to wonder if that was still on his mind anyway, the hormonal. Oh, yeah, I'm say he's a sixteen year old, of course it is, but the question whether or not he's gonna do it is a different story. Yeah, yeah and it, it did strike me more as a you know, quote unquote innocent just a school dance. It's not like it's a house party, you know. But mm-hmm. although when we do get to the dance and see how Mary Jane is dressed, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and we saw how Mary Jane was dressed at the end of the episode. I know, but <laughs> yeah, Mary Jane looks older than Betty does. <laughs> uh, this is starting to veer into territory of what I wanted to talk about in the next episode. So I'm trying to uh, uh, okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. there. <laughs> Except that it's not we'll get there. We'll get there. Anyway, like I said, um, we'll talk about that in a month when. But are there any final grades? Oh, we're giving grades for this? Um, yeah. It was a good episode, but it wasn't great. I'd say like a B. It was good. I'll give it a B plus. Great. Some amazing moments like the tombstone scene, but yeah, B plus is, sounds about right. Jesse? Uh, I'll say a C plus. All right. We'll see you all in a month, and spoil, spoiler alert, Zach is still dead. <laughs> because a month from now for you is like five minutes for us. We're time travelers, that's why. It is 2015. Yes, it Time traveling is going to be a theme this year. Yes, see you soon. Take care. Bye. Okay, let me stop this recording. I've been called many names. My favorite is Tombstone.